For all the parents out there, picture that it's bedtime. You and the kids have been busy all day. You know they're tired, but for some reason, they just won't go to sleep. And for this reason, I created the podcast Bedtime History. Bedtime History is a series of relaxing history stories that end with an inspirational message. With over 2,000 positive parent reviews, Bedtime History is one of the top education podcasts. Join me and listen to Bedtime History every Monday and Thursday on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, world? We're back continuing season four in the ATL. My backyard, always good to do some shows in ATL. There's a lot of people here that we need to talk to. Um, today we have the founder mm. of The Source magazine, the legend who has a lot of stories, also the co-founder of Hip Hop Weekly, my guy, Dave Mays. Welcome to All The Smoke, Appreciate my guy. Time, man. What, up, what up? Always good to see you. Great, great. Thank you, guys, for having How's me. How's life man? right now? What's going on with you? Oh man, I'm 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 excited. I got some some new things going that are starting to really uh, take off, and I think can have an impact out here. Um, created a, a platform about a year ago called Breakbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's designed to be a, uh, a content and technology company for the hip hop community. Um, obviously, I've been involved in hip hop, you know, pretty much my whole life now. Uh, but I see like a void out here still. Uh, to create a platform that's a little more authentic, um, that really has the interests and perspectives of the culture and the community uh, more front and and center and is going to stand behind those across the board. Um, And also really try to bridge the gap of the ages because hip-hop spans over three generations Mm -hmm. now. Um, but they kind of divided us through the music where the older people kind of don't like the younger mm-hmm. people's music and <laughs> right. there's all that narrative back and forth. But beneath the music, hip-hop is a way that you think, a way that you view the world if you've been, you know, grown up and been influenced by it. And I think whether you're, you know, 49 or 19, you're going to have a lot of uh, same point of view and perspectives on a lot of things in our world. And a lot of pe- times people underestimate hip-hop. They still just think of it as music and entertainment. They're still not really respecting the culture and, and everything that, that comes, you know, really the foundation of it. Uh, talk to us about your upbringing. Uh, well, I'm born and raised in Washington, D.C. Um, so I grew up uh, in the city went through the public schools, uh, just kind of fell in love with the, the music and the culture of the city at a young age. Um, you know, so in those days, this was really when uh, Go-Go was emerging in, in, in D.C. So that was really, you know, among my first love, as well as, you know, soul, R&B. Um, I just kind of got into all of that from a young age. And, uh, um yeah, you know, that's that's where it started. I mean, hip-hop has never really made it in D.C. because of Go-Go the way it did in so many, mm-hmm. almost every other city. So I was, you know, I got some hip-hop when I was in D.C. You know, we, I heard Rapper's Delight. That was the first song I heard when I was in sixth grade and knew all the lyrics to it. But uh, it wasn't until I left D.C. to go to college. I went to Harvard, uh, and this is 1986. Uh, that I became more fully, like, really immersed in in, in hip-hop. Well, obviously, Harvard Historical School, uh, what drove you that direction? Um, well, I, you know, my family w- uh, was a family that, you know, kind of valued education and achievement. Um, and um, so I always kind of was instilled with the idea that I would go to a really good school, um, you know, I was, you know, fortunate that I, uh, I was did well, you know, grade wise, but also, you know, extracurricular activities and sports. <laughs> you know, I, I played a little basketball okay. back, back in the day. What, you, then, what was your game like? <laughs> it's, it's still all right. It's still, you know, a little little Elvin Hayes. You know, that's okay. how I, I, I grew Dang, up on. It was you know? old school, yeah. huh? <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So um, 
you know, just, um, you know, had the opportunity because of, of all that coming out of a public school that was considered diversity for, for Harvard back in, in the days. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that was really it. But when I got there, it was, it was kind of different because I didn't really know what to expect in terms of like, you know, the, the culture and the people right. there on Because you campus. necessarily don't think hip hop, Harvard, those aren't really synonymous with each other. So what yeah. was it? I mean, was it a huge culture shock or, or you know, I know you were being you, but was it a yeah. little different? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, Harvard's come a long way now. I've seen some things <laughs> come in the last few years where they, you know, definitely hip hop has a has a strong presence there. But back in those days, no, it was a total culture shock. I'm walking around campus with my fila sweatsuit on, and <laughs> you know, my bringing my DC style up there. Right. People look at me like, who is this Ooh, guy? Yeah. And I couldn't really fit in with with anybody there. I started, you know, making friends with people off campus, people that would come into the gym and play ball from the neighborhood. And, you know, I ended up starting a radio show um, and that uh, was called Street Beat. And that really became like a passion for me. Um, Back in those days, there was no rap music being played on a radio, commercial radio. The only time, you know, place you really could hear it was college radio. Um, so I was able to actually build a big presence in the city with Street Beat because, you know, I was just very dedicated to getting the newest music and building relationships with the record labels around, around the country. Um, and it gave me an outlet to the city. So when concerts would come to Boston, I'd be able to go down and, you know, tend them in the city, different things like that. So, uh, but I was always an entrepreneur growing up, um, you know lemonade stands and had a lawn mowing business in junior high with, you know, 80 clients and business cards. Oh, you had 80 of them, huh? <laughs> See, I used to mow lawns too. I didn't have 80 of them, but yeah. Yeah, we had it going. Yeah. My boy, David Scribner. Um, That's dope. But uh, yeah, so I always had that entrepreneurial bug. And um, so through the radio show, you know, this really leads into how, how the source was created because um, I had listeners all over the city. People would call in. You know, it was late night, you know, mm-hmm. Friday night, midnight, 1 a.m. type of thing. But people would be calling. So I knew we were building an audience. And one of the reasons I picked the radio station was you could uh, make commission on ad sales, which was unique. Most colleges, you can't sell ads. So, uh, But Harvard had a thing where you could sell sponsorships. So that was my thing. I'm like, I'm going to go around to all these businesses mm-hmm. in Boston and try to get some sponsorship dollars. And people were laughing at me like, man, nobody's listening to, you know, rap on a Harvard, on a Harvard radio station because the Harvard station was known for classical music. Mm-hmm. It played almost all classical music all day long. So I got frustrated and came up with the idea, let me start building a mailing list of my listeners. So every week I would go on the air, yo, you know, call in, join the Street Beat mailing list. And I would write down names and addresses of everybody that called in. I would set up little sign-up boxes around town for people to drop their name and address in. I built up like maybe a thousand something names and addresses of hip-hop fans in Boston. And then that's when the idea came let me create a newsletter mm. to give out this news and information because answering those phones all the time and talking to people, what I kept hearing is, you know, people were thirsty for any information about hip hop because again, in the, in the 80s, hip hop was big. There. You had, mm-hmm. you know, Run DMC and, you know, many others that had, had created a huge market, but there was no information anywhere. You couldn't find mm-hmm. it on the radio, newspapers, TV, nothing like that. So people would always call in, when's the new, you know, Public Enemy album coming out or who produced that, you know, remix for EPMD or, you know, different things like that. So that kind of sparked the idea, man, I can, you know, get information from my contacts at the different record labels and then put it into a newsletter form and sell the advertising on the back. So Mm. that's what I did. The first issue of The Source was one single page, uh, yellow sheet front and back. I sold four ads on the back. Total of maybe $150, $200, but I I was happy. (laughs) That's that's dope, but crazy. And just kept flipping it from there. Right. That's hard. You remember what it was about? Who was what it was about? That first, first one? Yeah. Um, I mean, basically, it had a chart of the top maybe 20 songs of, of the month. Uh, it had a column of uh, news that just kind of had little tidbits of different news and information I had. We had, like, a list of sneak preview of upcoming albums when they were coming out, concerts coming to town, uh, and, like, a trivia question. It was, you know... Oh, a bunch so you of- filled that whole page up with <laughs> something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. Dope. After college, you... Take your talents to New York to try to build your brand. What was the ups and downs of of, of doing that and starting that off? 
Man, um, well, so I start the source between my sophomore and junior years. So it gets going, you know, into junior year, senior year is growing, you know, very quickly I saw, you know, the vision of trying to create kind of the rolling stone for the hip hop generation because I had been given a book on the history of Rolling Stone magazine, which I didn't know anything about, but I, I saw all kind of parallels between rock and roll and hip hop and how this guy, Jan Winter, had created a kind of underground newspaper and built it up into, you know, like the biggest pop culture, you know, voice in, in, in America in the 80s and the 90s. So I'm like, you know, I can do the same thing for hip hop. So quickly, you know, it started growing to, you know, become more of a, a booklet and a magazine. I began to distribute it around the country. I would call up mom and pop record stores in every city around the country and say, hey, I got this new magazine. I'm going to ship you, you know, 10 copies on consignment. You know, I would just get it out there and people started buying it. And, you know, because that was how people got information back in the day. You went to your local record store. Yeah, with no that internet. Really, yeah, that was really the only place you mm -hmm. could kind of get anything. So the source would be right there on the counter. We started selling hundreds, thousands of copies. Um, so it became, uh, you know, I'm in college, but now I got to figure out how do I move to New York? How do I set up an office in New York? How do we start kind of paying salaries to ourselves? Um, I was able to get uh, maybe four different record companies that really believed in what I was doing um, and, and the impact that the source was having. And I got them to prepay for a year worth of ads. So that's how I raised a little bit of capital, maybe seventy-five, eighty thousand dollars, and that was the capital I used to move to New York, get things, you know, rolling down there, and just kept it pushing. Um, I mean, New York was was incredible. I mean, you know, that was, you know, I moved there in nineteen ninety, um, and you know, this is again the height of hip hop. New York is still, you know, the the central, you know. Uh, place of hip hop, although it's obviously, you know, getting bigger and bigger, you know, everywhere else around the country. Um, but, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of in the, in the center of it all, the big, the big city. And, uh, but, you know, we, we, uh, we just took it on and, and, uh, um, became great. I mean, I, you know, I ended up being in New York like 15 years and, um, you know, it was a, just a great, great experience, but like you know, a lot of, a lot of challenges along the way. But um, mm -hmm. you know, New York was. was did you home get? For and I say this to all due respect. Did you get any pushback? You know, respectively, being a white man trying to, kind of. I mean, you set the tone for you know hip hop information getting out there. Was there any pushback because of? Sure. What you, you know, look like? There was there was uh, some pushback in the beginning. Like when when I was still at Harvard, I had. Uh, three other partners that were Harvard students, but my first partner, his name was John Schechter, and he was white and also Jewish. Um, so there was like stories coming out, you know, the two Jewish guys from Harvard <laughs> started a hip hop right. magazine. And so some people were, you know, obviously like, hold up, hold up. Um, but, you know, I always let the magazine the kind of speak for mm -hmm. itself, you know, the credibility right. of the magazine, the way that I ran the company from the beginning to the end, you know, and the commitment that I had to, uh, you know, to the culture and to, to keeping it real and, you know, not being afraid to, you know, get into the, you know, into the mud and deal with what comes with, with, with that uh, to be, you know, really accurate. Um, about things. So in, in, you know, in early time, a lot of people began to endorse the source, you know, KRS-One and all kinds of, you know, he became like a, a contributing editor or something at the, the source in the early days and John Singleton and different people that, you know, were getting involved. So, you know, that really brought more credibility when, when you get those kind of uh, stamps from people. Mm -hmm. But it, it was the work, you know, it was the work that right. spoke for itself. And I was always in the background anyway. I, I was always a guy that, you know, just kind of wanted to be in the back and be head down, focused on building, you know, this, uh, you know, this empire. You started legendary columns like the Five Mics. I got a homeboy. His name is Five Mics right now. But um, <laughs> and a lot of people rated themselves and rated music off that Five Mics standard. How did you start that? 
Um, well, Five Mics um, started like early 90s. It actually, the first, we, we started with a rating system for albums that was one to five, but in the beginning it wasn't actually mics. It was like these little broken kind of record images. Mm-hmm. But, but we had the rankings from like Whack as number one all the way up to a hip hop classic number five. Uh, five rating. So maybe a year or so in the idea, somebody on on my editorial team came up with the idea to change it to uh, to mics. And you know we had the logo that the source was known for, the hand holding the microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it just became you know it became this the standard uh, in the industry. I mean, again, I think it was just you know the source was a place where people that really loved hip hop, um, you know, could have an opportunity to you know, get involved in the business of journalism and media, whether they were writers, editors, photographers, uh, graphic designers uh, on the business side, you know, executives, advertising, production. And, you know, the whole office in those days was under 25 years old. Like, there was mm-hmm. nobody yeah. over 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the source quickly became, you know, like just that place people would come and want to just roll up in the office and, you know, people would, smoke in the office or out in the stairwell or whatever and uh uh it was just a you know it was just a cool vibe so a lot of a lot of artists would come up to the office i remember ice cube you know coming up in the in the early days and like hey he wants to play us his album and you know everybody gather around the conference room and he's he's playing his album and so people really you know respected the source just because again we you know the way that we wrote about stuff people really felt like it it came from people that really understood Genuine. you know and unfortunately that's that's going back to breakbeat and what I'm trying to do now it's mm-hmm. like you don't really have that today um you know most of the people that are in the the media space you know I I don't feel a lot of them are really uh, you know, committed to the culture at the end of the day. It's become, you know, just a business for everybody and a hustle or, or, or what have you. And, you know, uh, we've lost some of that authenticity and that um, integrity um, and things that will help to unify the community and the culture better. You know, every artist in the 90s wanted five mics. People would go into the studio to make an album, and that was their Goal. That's like, a stamp gonna, of approval. I'm going to get a five right. mic album. I got to come up with something that the source is going to give five mics to. So you know, people were always uh, you know coming at us, and and um, you know we got a lot of things right. You know, you know we became famous with with Nas, for example. You know, with Illmatic. You know, we gave him a stamp very early on because at the time he dropped Illmatic, he you know he had a little buzz, but it wasn't like he it was crazy at the time. And the source, you know, five mic stamp, like mm. gave him that boost, you know, to launch his career. Before that, you know, Tribe Called Quest had got five mics. De La Soul, uh, Cube had got one. There's a few more. Can a um, platinum album be whack? Sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but we made we made some mistakes too. Like you know, the Chronic. I still take pride in it. We gave it four and a half mics. Is obviously a five mic album. Um, we did go back some years later. Oh, and got re- revised oh, really? ratings. Yeah, <laughs> just you know, we had to and just kind of. Southern Playlistic, do you think five mics? You re-rate it? I don't recall about Southern Playlistic. I mean, I, I'm not sure. Southern Playlistic is an incredible classic album. I mean, and so influential. I mean, Outkast as mm-hmm. a whole is such an influential, uh, you know, group in the evolution of hip hop and what they they brought to the table and the doors that they they opened um and they made amazing music but uh i think they got five mics for um stankonia stankonia or i i'm i'm forgetting but they definitely got a five mic they they didn't get it on on uh, southern playlistic but they did get it at um, aliens yeah was there was there a time or a cover or anything where you felt like okay like we're here, we're, we we are official. Was there a point of time when you felt like that? Yeah, you know, it's hard because like I was again. I'm I'm the guy that like never stopped to like, oh man, we we made it, or you know, I'm already on the next, next? five moves down the road. <laughs> right. So it's like I don't really, I, I wasn't taking the time to really sit back and say, man. But I can say one of the most, you know, kind of exciting moments for me uh, in that era was. Uh, the first time I heard uh, Juicy uh, playing on the radio in New York and with Big, 
you know, shouting out the source, Miles every time my mm. face is up in the source. <laughs> now, we had discovered Big. Uh, that's another legendary column from the magazine is the Unsigned, Unsigned Hype, Hype column. Yep. Um, you know, we, we're the ones that uh, reviewed Big's demo tape that he made just for the source. And Mr. C brought it up to us, um, put him in Unsigned Hype in maybe March of 92. Um, a few months later, well, a few weeks later, I get a call from Diddy, uh, Puffy at the time, who's telling me about his new uh, imprint deal that he's been given at Uptown. You know, he was A&R at Uptown um, and that he was looking for rappers. So I called up uh, my boy, Maddie C. Maddie is the guy who uh, really ran the unsigned hype column for years and, and was the one who picked a lot of the big names that came through that column, including Biggie. So I told him, Matt was like, yeah, we just put big, you know, in, in the uh, magazine, let's get him that. And Matt ended up bringing the tape to him and he got signed, you know, a few weeks later. So y'all connected the dots between Biggie and Puff. Absolutely. That's so hard. Common, Mob Deep, DMX, all those type of guys. Yeah. Eminem, Capone Noriega, David Banner, Joel Santana, uh, Jay Electronica, Pitbull, um, Joel Ortiz. Uh, there's a few more I'm, I'm uh, forgetting, but uh, yeah, it was a very uh, legendary column and uh, is actually the subject of uh, the first documentary audio uh, series that Breakbeat is releasing in uh, the next month or so. The History of the Source? It, well, we're doing Unsigned Hype. Oh, okay. The History of the Source is, is coming soon. That's what I was say. That's um, got to come. You know? That's something that we need to talk about. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be talking more bring about that. that. You know I mean? Come on now, bring, can, the, yeah, yeah. bring that to showtime. But yeah. this, the story of Unsigned Hype is called... Um, it was all a dream, the untold story of Unsigned Hype. It's an eight-episode limited series. We tell the whole story. You know, how do we get Biggie's demo? How did he get the deal? What was That's going on in, you know, Common's life? And you learn so much because this is parts of their lives that you, people don't really know or haven't really heard these stories before they got signed or right when they get signed. So I'm really excited. We, we just finished that, um, and we're getting ready to put that out. Um, and we have more in, oops, we have more in that vein coming behind it. I'm uh, also been working for over a year now on uh, the Larry Hoover life story. Okay. Um, you know, we're the first to ever get the authorized rights to Larry's life story. Um, you know, that's going to be an eight to 10 part audio documentary as well. Um, so I've been in Chicago, you know, first, you know, hand, like right on the scene with his family and a lot of his people helping, you know, uh, get that together. But such an important untold story also that I'm really, really uh, proud and excited we're going to be bringing later this year to everybody. Are you all about the NBA action? You've got to try Pick 6, the newest fantasy app from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers can earn a 100% instant deposit matchup to $100 in Pick 6 credits when you deposit $5 or more. Getting started is simple. Just download the DraftKings Pick 6 app and sign up with code ATS. Pick at least two players and choose if they'll have more or less of a stat. Like will they score more or less than 30 points? Or have more or less than 8 assists? Lock them in and compete against others for a shot at huge cash prizes. Download the DraftKings Pick 6 app now and get started with code ATS. New customers can earn a 100% instant deposit matchup to $100 in Pick 6 credits when you deposit $5 or more. Only on DraftKings Pick 6 with code ATS. The crown is yours. One offer per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit to receive a match of up to $100 in Pick 6 credits. Non-withdrawable and valid for Pick 6 use only. Expire after 180 days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick 6 states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. For all the parents out there, picture that it's bedtime. You and the kids have been busy all day. You know they're tired, but with all that anxious energy, they just won't go to sleep. This was my kids every night. But I did find that stories calmed their mind and gave them something to focus on. So six years ago, I created the kids' podcast, Bedtime History, to help solve that problem. Bedtime History is a series of relaxing history stories that end with an inspirational message. 
We have episodes about Jackie Robinson, Neil Armstrong, Maya Angelou, and Sacagawea. Episodes also include topics like space exploration, engineering, the rise and fall of civilizations, and major events like the Civil Rights Movement and the Transcontinental Railroad. With over 2,000 positive parent reviews, Bedtime History is one of the top education podcasts. This week, join me and listen to Bedtime History every Monday and Thursday on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Rest in peace, first and foremost, to DMX, one of my favorite artists. When you first heard DMX, what was your thoughts? (laughs) Well, I mean, I didn't really, I don't really remember hearing his demo. So the thing with DMX is, and you'll hear it when you listen, if you listen to the podcast, we we play some of his early music that was brought to us. He sounded totally different. Uh, we, we put him in unsigned hype, I believe, in 1991. He didn't get on until like 97, 98, really. Okay. So his career went through a lot of ups and downs, different record deals before he kind of landed with Rough Riders and, and Def Jam. So we had him in unsigned hype before he really got with the Rough Riders. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you listen to his his demo back then, his voice is totally, you know, and his style is totally different. Um, So I don't really remember hearing DMX until like, you know, Get At Me Dog came out and, you know, he's one of the most amazing artists of all time. I mean, so prolific, uh, so talented, such a gifted, you know, lyricist and, and just, you know, storyteller and, and just figure, and it's, you know, obviously a, a huge, huge loss uh, to hip-hop mm-hmm. to have him pass away. So, yeah, rest in peace to, to DMX. Um, any stories you can uh, share with us, some behind-the-scenes of any photo uh, photo shoots, iconic photo shoots you've had for the source? Um, well, let me see. Um, you know, I, I like to go back to the Dr. Dre and the Chronic, because even though we only gave it four and a half mics, we did that like before it came out, okay? Mm-hmm. I remember getting the chronic, uh, an advanced copy of some songs. Now, at this time, you know, Dre had left NWA. People didn't really know what was going on with him. He didn't, you know, have a deal. He had gotten with Suge and they were, you know, making this album. Um, and it ends up coming to me and I'm like, man, you know, I, this is gonna be amazing. Like, we gotta put Dre on the cover. You know, I started making calls. I ended up having to fly out to L.A. and got introduced to Suge and had to basically go sit with him and convince him, like, hey, let the source have this first cover. You know, we love this album. We want to be behind you, you know, from the jump. And he, you know, he blessed it. And uh, we ended up doing that photo shoot with with Dr. Dre with the gun mm-hmm. to his head. That's one of the my favorite and one of the most classic uh, images of, of the source covers uh, of all time. Uh, so that was, you know, I was out there for that cover shoot. And, uh, you know, it was definitely like a, uh, uh, a view into some of the L.A., you know, life and culture, mm-hmm. having, you know, Chug and all the guys that oh, were around, mix. around for that. <laughs> you writing the mix um, out there. So, yeah, that was, that was definitely a... <laughs> Uh, uh, one of the one of the memorable ones. You're in the you're in the midst of building, uh, you know, a hip hop monster machine. Um, you end up partnering or, or 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 coming together with Benzino. Can you speak to the early partnership that you guys had developed? Sure. Um, so uh, when I'm in Boston, like I was saying, doing my radio show, um, Benzino is part of a local rap group. Um, that was big in the city, and they were putting out their own records independently. So um, I had gone down to one of their shows, introduced myself to the crew, and was like, you know, you guys come on up to the radio station and do an interview. That's how we all met, um, started to become friends. His DJ at the time, um, uh, my man, well, he was known as Def Jeff back then, Um, He ended up joining the radio show and becoming our official DJ for Street Beat. Um, And, you know, I I like their music, so I was trying to help them with their music. Um, I ended up getting them uh, their first record deal with Tommy Boy Records. Um, So, 
you know, he was a friend and someone that I was working with on the music side uh, in the early days. Um, he really didn't have an interest at that time in the source. He was focused on what he was doing, the music and, and everything else. Um, but we stayed friends when I left Boston, moved to New York. Um, we stayed in, in touch and I continued to help him with the music. Um, got them, you know, DLF Flavor Unit records, um, a deal with RCA records with Steve Stout, different things like that. So there came a time in around uh, 94, late 90, 94, where I had a dispute with two of my original Harvard partners that were the editors of the magazine. Um, they had been kind of, you know, putting the source, in my opinion, in a bad light because I, I felt like the success of the source was going to their heads. And instead of being this kind of supportive voice for the culture and the artists, we were starting to get into these kind of personal beefs with artists. A lot of people don't remember this, but in 93, 94, you know, Public Enemy made a music video depicting them trashing the offices of the Sauce magazine. And, you know, Snoop had gone on BT and was like, you know, Fuck the Source and Cypress Hill, who was another group that we really helped discover and helped blow them up at the early stages of their careers. They end up touring the country, burning copies of the Source mm. on stage because of things that, in my opinion, were unprofessional by the writers and editors right. of the magazine. And so we started to have a dispute behind that, the Ice-T conflict. We had a big conflict with Ice-T over Cop Killer um, that went public. So... Um, Ultimately, that led to a situation where uh, the editors staged a walkout uh, on me and put out, uh, uh, you know, basically a press release and said, you know, Dave Mays has to step down. He's doing all these terrible things. And, you know, we're not going to work anymore until Dave Mays steps down. And they got like a petition of writers and journalists, um, you know, to, to uh, sign this petition um, so I ended up work, getting through this. It was, you know, a very challenging time, but I was able to uh, basically replace my staff. I brought in some amazing new writers and editors, people like Selwyn Hines and Carlito Rodriguez and, um, you know, many others that are still doing incredible things, you know, in media and the culture today. Um, but it was a time where, like, you know, I was feeling a tremendous amount of disloyalty from people that, you know, I had put on. You right. know, I started a source. I put these guys down, gave everybody, you know, percentages, that type of thing. So when they left, it, I kind of reached a point where I was like, you know, I think... Benzino, I think you could, you know, help me with the source now. And he kind of helped me, had kind of had my back during that time because things got a little bit, you know, rough at that at that moment. And that's when I said, hey, man, you know, I want to, you know, give you some interest with me in this and, you know, have you come on board. So this is around 95, 96 is when he starts to get involved uh, in the source. And, you know, he basically worked with me uh, for maybe another 10 years until, I, you know, we all left. We both left the source in uh, 2006. Um, what was your point of view? Because you guys were right kind of in the midst of it. Uh, the Source Awards started in, 2000, or, excuse me, 1991. Uh, plenty of iconic performances and, and moments in hip-hop history, but a particular one that stands out is the East Coast-West Coast beef. What was your point of view on it? Because you guys are literally right in the thick of it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, this is the type of thing that um, me and Stack were talking the other day about the importance of documenting our history mm -hmm. properly and how it's not being done accurately. So there's a lot of misconceptions around this. You know, I haven't told my story yet. I'm, you know, part of what I'm doing now with this new platform is, you know, bringing my voice out a little more, coming and doing stuff like this and working on other uh, projects that are going to tell my story and the story of, of the source. Um, so the Source Awards was an idea that I, that I came up with in the early 90s. Um, you know, hip-hop was being disrespected across the board. It was super popular, like I was saying earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, you were selling millions of records, but it was being disrespected across the board by anything in the mainstream, the Grammys, any type of awards or institutions for music. Nobody took it seriously. So um, the idea was, you know, let's create a 
a platform where we can really honor and celebrate these amazing, you know, contributions that people are making, artists, producers, DJs, all the different parts, you know, that were contributing to to the culture. So it started like as a uh, column in the magazine at the end of the year. Where it was like, we're going to name the best artist of the year, the best album of the year. And I brought that column to the guy who was producing Yo! MTV Raps at the time. And I said, hey, let's do a segment on Yo! MTV Raps where we give out these awards. And they agreed. So the very first Source Awards were given out, I think, in the spring of 92 on Yo! MTV Raps over the course of a day or two. And we just had these little trophies and <laughs> people came on and got them. But that was a start. Then um, a guy named Mike Elliott uh, had joined uh, working with me at The Source. Shout out to Mike. He's done amazing things. Also, Mike is the, uh, the writer uh, of Brown Sugar, the movie, okay. and he's done many other things in, in Hollywood and continuing to. Uh, but he got involved and he and I came up with the plan to like actually take the Source Awards and make it into a real event with thousands of people. And we uh, rented out the Paramount Theater at Madison Square Garden in 1994. Um, and you know, put on an incredible show. There's only a little bit of footage that still exists from that that night out there. But you know, Tupac was there at that first awards. I mean, everybody from Hip Hop, Run DMC, you know, Wu Tang. Um, you know, the list goes on. It was just, you know, it was the idea like, hey, I'm going to bring all of these different parts of the hip hop world together in one place. Because it's never been celebrate. done. Never At been that done. point, it never been done. And I was really the only person that had those relationships because, you know, the source gets some flack sometimes. People try to say we were biased towards the East Coast or what have you, but we actually, you know, w went out of our way to recognize hip hop coming from other parts of the country um, from very, very early on. You can go back to the earliest issues of the source in the 80s, late 80s, and you'll see the coverage we gave to, you know, Sir Mix-a-Lot or, you know, NWA or different people coming from other parts of the country. Um, so, you know, I had the relationships with the, you know, the Puffies, the Shugs, the Jay Princes, the, you know, all the different players uh, at the time to be able to kind of get us on the same accord. Like, hey, you know, we want to do this for, for hip hop. Let's have a show of our own that we can really, mm -hmm. you know, celebrate. So um, that's how it started. Um, the second year, 95, is the one that you're talking about that's the probably, you know, one of the most famous ones, of course. Um, and that was the first televised Source Awards. Uh, I paid a syndicator um, to get it out on to, uh, you know, different affiliate stations and all the major markets, you know, NBC, Fox affiliates in different cities. And that's how I got the first Source Awards televised, sold sponsorships to pay for it. Um, but that show in particular, um, you know, this whole idea of the East-West and everything that happened, there's, there's so many layers, you know, to that. But one of the narratives that I want to make sure uh, gets, you know, corrected is, you know, people kind of try to blame the source. Like we kind of, this whole East-West thing started at the Source Awards that night with the Suge and the Puffy stuff. Um, but... I mean, the East-West thing as a whole in hip-hop goes back to the late 80s, okay? You know, the Ghetto Boys and other people were making songs basically, you know, saying, fuck New York, y'all don't play our music, y'all don't give us no respect. You know, that kind of back and forth had been going on for some, some years now. Um, you know, the Death Row Bad Boy beef was a whole different, you know, a whole different thing. Uh, that kind of gets lumped into this idea of East-West. But, it, you know, it really came down to, you know, to a personal uh, beef that developed between Suge and Pac and Big and Puff. Uh, but that night, um, going into that awards, there was no, like, concern. Like, there wasn't any beef or any, you know, at that point, you know, there was no back for Pac was in jail. Um, he had been talking his shit about you know, big and stuff from jail, and he was mad, but but nobody knew he was joining Death Row that he night. Got out. Yeah, he got out like a month later after the Source Awards, and that's when, now you, you see Suge shout him out, you know, we want to tell Tupac, keep your guards up. So you kind of got a hint that, you know, he was, was, he was cool with him, mm -hmm. but, I, but nobody knew that that was going to happen. So, um, you know, that night to me, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, Suge has, has been given a bad, 
name and image over the years by a lot of media outlets. And so people tend to, to blame him. Um, one of the things that I think contributed to, to that night when Puff performed, because Death Row, first of all, Suge Knight was the biggest supporter of that Source Awards for me. I went to all these guys and, you know, you know rounded them up to support it. But Suge actually put up $100,000 mm. to build that set, the opening show where there's like the jail cell yeah, and all mm -hmm. the that different was artists are coming mm -hmm. out. Yeah. You know, that was crazy. So, you know, for us, that made the show on TV yeah. look like a million dollars. And, yeah. you know, he was the only one that really put up that kind of money, um, you know, and put it into helping us with the show. So, you know, I had given him a lot of tickets, you know, like maybe 60, 70 tickets that night. Um, you know, I did all the seating charts for every source <laughs> award, so I'm knowing where everybody's right. sitting and try to manage manage that. But again, there was no concern going into that. But Bad Boy gave an amazing performance that night as well. Craig Mack, mm -hmm. Big Fate, total, you know, legendary performance. But if you look back at the beginning of that performance segment, Puff comes out, he kneels down in the middle of, of the stage under a spotlight, and he starts talking, and he says something to the effect of, you know, I live in the East, and I'll die in the East. East. Yeah. To me, and I've, I haven't had a chance to ask Suge, and I plan to ask him one of these days, but in my mind, that's something that, that Suge was probably sitting there like, oh, really? Okay, you live in the East, you die in the East? Okay, because it was shortly after that when he got called up to stage and made the comments mm. like, you know, about that. So I think he was just talking shit or whatever. Mm -hmm. He definitely wasn't like scared or worried because, you know. All in your videos. <laughs> like I said, he had he had maybe 70 tickets. Puff and them had maybe 20, 25 tickets. So, you know, he knew he was in there uh, 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 deep and he wasn't really worried about it. Of course, you know, there was some, you know, I was walking around the theater when that happened. And I, you know, I get to, you know, call like, you know, get back here and I'm rushing backstage <laughs> and there's all kinds of chaos going on. Uh, but there was no, you know, violence. There was no beef, no punches were thrown that night. Um, you know, as you guys saw, you know, Puff came out and kind of took the high road and credit, credit him, you know, for that. Um, but the, back to the original question, the real beef starts between them, and this is also maybe a month or so later, in Atlanta, right here, when Jake, Big Jake, uh, who was an executive for, <coughs> for Death Row, <coughs> excuse me, mm -hmm. one of Suge's homeboys, but he, I knew uh, Jake, Jake Robles, rest in peace. I knew him very well because we worked together on marketing and things for the label and the source. And he was a cool ass dude. And he's the one that got killed down here, allegedly by Diddy's uh, man, Wolf, Wolf. Uh, or somebody around them that night. Mm -hmm. That's when the beef became a violent thing Real. and it escalated dramatically from there. And that had nothing to do with the Source Awards. Yeah, BMF just, had something to do with that. That was all the BMF night. That was a big old, whole bunch of stuff yeah. started that night. Um, that's where it started. And the Source was always the media outlet. Like, we were concerned. Like, we're not trying to put out, like, incendiary right. things just to sell magazines. Sparkle, if you yeah. go back and you look at the source, I put Suge on the cover, and this is in the height of the beef going on in mid-96. On the cover of the source, it's a classic cover, Suge in front of the Rolls Royce in the red suit. But if you look at the words on the cover, it says, uh, Suge Knight, quote, this ain't no East-West thing. So like that was my thing. Like let me put that message up front right. and center to try to diffuse things and you know that type of thing. Now Vibe magazine was the ones that were putting out kind of stuff East versus West on the cover and like hyping shit up and you know a lot of people blame them, but sometimes they try to throw the source in the mix. So I gotta make sure that people know you know the differences that that were there and the way it just comes back to the way these businesses and these magazines and media outlets were run. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I take the most pride in and continue to is, is being independent. You know, the source was started. I had $200 to run that first newsletter That's off. Crazy. Never took any investors, just kept flipping it one issue after another. Um, so I was able to build this company up uh, and own it 100%, um, you know, all the way up until the late 1990s. Um, never had to take loans or investors. Um, and that gave the source a lot of control, you know, because we were very influential, but we didn't have to answer to anybody. We didn't have some corporate 
backer that was going to come in and say, you can't do this, you can't do that, or whatever. Um, so that's that's one of the things that was really important with the source was that I was able to build it into something big and remain independent um, and put a lot of people on, you know, mm -hmm. put a lot of people on, uh, not just through unsigned hype. Uh, of course, we went down the list of those, but there's many, many other people that got discovered through the source. Uh, I discovered Tyson Beckford, the supermodel, put him in his first, you know, little fashion page in the source in the early 90s. That was how his modeling career got started. Uh, I discovered Aaron Magruder of the Boondocks. Hmm. Um, he was doing a cartoon for University of Maryland's newspaper that I seen. And I was like, boom, I put him in the source, his national platform, and he got his, you mm -hmm. know, newspaper deals and everything else. Um, you know, a lot of, like I mentioned, a few of the people that worked at the source already. And then there's, you know, different women like Dream Hampton, who's, you know, become a very successful author and uh, TV producer and Kieran Mayo, um, and uh, many, many, many others. Um, so, yeah, those, those are some of the things that I really, you know, take a lot of pride in and trying to kind of reinvent and bring back into this new age with what I'm doing now yeah. with, with Breakbeat. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to do That's my That's my dance, <laughs> For all the parents out there, picture that it's bedtime. You and the kids have been busy all day. You know they're tired, but with all that anxious energy, they just won't go to sleep. This was my kids every night. But I did find that stories calmed their mind and gave them something to focus on. So six years ago, I created the kids' podcast, Bedtime History, to help solve that problem. Bedtime History is a series of relaxing history stories that end with an inspirational message. We have episodes about Jackie Robinson, Neil Armstrong, Maya Angelou, and Sacagawea. Episodes also include topics like space exploration, engineering, the rise and fall of civilizations, and major events like the Civil Rights Movement and the Transcontinental Railroad. With over 2,000 positive parent reviews, Bedtime History is one of the top education podcasts. This week, join me and listen to Bedtime History every Monday and Thursday on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As you see the unfortunate kind of beefs continue to escalate and then turn tragic, you know, obviously losing Big and Pac, and then fast forward everything between then and to now, we you know recently lost Takeoff, rest in peace. We have the YSL trial. What do you feel like the, the, the state of, of hip-hop, the music first and foremost, but then obviously the beefs and to me, the unnecessary violence behind it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a few different things that at play here. I mean, the music aspect of hip hop um, has become, you know, corporate driven for a long time now. The corporations, there's a handful, few co companies that control all music distribution in the world mm. um, at the end of the day. And, you know, they, in my opinion, the music companies found a way to control hip hop in the early 2000s and up till today. And, you know, I, I think there's still the, you know, it still comes, you know, there's still an authenticity. It's still coming from people that are speaking, you know, their pain, their struggle, their, um, you know, whatever they're going through, um, you know, but, um, you know, I just think that, that, 
between the way the music industry has sort of pushed a certain style of music, I think that's had a negative impact. But the deeper issue is just, you know, America, racism, systemic racism, all that it's done to contribute to the poverty and the other conditions of our inner cities and of many of our, you know, poor black communities. Um, and, you know, you look at what hip hop was talking about in the late 80s and 90s with fuck the police and, you know, bringing life Self-destruction. Yeah. Yeah, for self-destruction. Yeah. Another one of those. But then you look, you know, 20, 30 years later and things are the same or worse than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a, that's a failure on hip hop's part. You know, hip hop as a business, you're talking about a multi-billion dollar business, these resources should be being put back into these communities where, you know, hip hop kind of originates and where, again, that kind of raw energy that, that really still fuels hip hop comes from. And um, so, you know, I think it's just, it's a reflection of what's going on, you know, in, in our impoverished communities and the gun violence, you know, the increase of gun violence and, you know, the breakdown of, of, of structure in a lot of these cities, you know, look at Chicago and what they did taking out, you know, Larry Hoover's and other leadership and, you know, kind of designed a pathway to create more, more chaos, uh, out here. Um, so I think hip hop needs something like what I'm trying to do with breakbeat, you know, to bring a kind of, you know, different perspective, create a, uh, you know, an outlet where, you know, voices that maybe aren't being heard can be heard. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing it through uh, a lot of influencers right now and social media folks who, I, who I've been admiring, you know, over the years on social media and see a, a talent in them to kind of become, you know, successful in, in the podcasting uh, game. And uh, we're going to be getting more into the music aspect of it with some, some new shows that we have uh, coming up as well. Um, so, but I think, yeah, I think we need, you know, better leadership, better, you know, awakening uh, to, and, and finding ways to connect those dots so we can become more unified. If, if, if we can connect the dots between the 15 and the 55 years old people that have all grown up on hip hop and still have a certain passion and love for this culture uh, and bring them together, we can really affect change in a much greater way than, than we have. So I don't, I don't know if I answered it totally it. directly, but I, you know, I kind of have a bigger picture kind of right. view on that stuff. I mean, we really want to, you know, give you your flowers for being a trailblazer uh, in the hip hop culture. I think what you brought to this community, obviously it hadn't been done or seen and, and your ability to be able to galvanize and bring everybody together. Like you said, you you know, you were in touch with a lot of the people that were kind of running the shows and you were someone that were able to get them together. So, I mean, we really want to, you know, obviously give you your flowers for your imprint on what you did and, and, and continue to do uh, for the hip hop culture and the community. Yeah. And I want to say this today too, like, you do need your flowers because in the day of hip hop and day and time, it's too many people that we consider as culture vultures. But you were, you were more of the of the door opener for a lot of people in hip hop, you know, and and I and you I can't wait to we hopefully get a chance to tell your story and you tell your story because mm -hmm. it's gonna be beneficial for hip hop for the younger generation to understand how it started, you know, a lot of the ups and downs of the artists that that we look at and that we know about and how they got their start. A lot of them don't even know that. They just think now like all you gotta do is put some on SoundCloud and you become a big rapper. That's what you can do now. You know, but when they hear about the the, the the biggies, the DMXs, the stories, the guys that are pioneers to the to to this hip hop game, I think it's it's important that that you tell those stories. So I can't wait to hear it. But I want to give you your flowers as well. Yeah, I mean the thing, if you look at what I'm doing with Breakbeat, I am doing those kind of documentary things. But the first stuff that's popping right now is you know, don't call me white girl, mm -hmm. funny Marco, Cornbread TV. Uh, you were just with us Bubba a, couple, Dub. a couple of days ago. Shout out Bubba <laughs> Dub. Trash, that's trash. my boy. I just did a show. Yeah, that's my boy. Yeah, that's going to be our premiere show coming up soon. Uh, trash Talk. So, again, finding these voices out there that are, like, just really talented 
and bringing them out. And these are people that are connecting with the younger generations yeah. more. That was important to me. Yeah. yeah, with Breakbeat is to make sure that the younger people connect with us and respect what we're doing first. Don't try to shove the history down their throats or whatever. I think the interest is there, but a lot of times it comes off as like you're trying to make people, you know, you have to let them kind of find it and and on their own in a sense. So yeah, that's that's really key with Breakbeat is you know letting people know we got all these shows that they are watching now that 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 uh, they love and we're going to be adding more to that roster, um, and we're going to be just mixing it up with you know the history, the classic, and the current uh, hip hop. Is hip hop fifty this year? It is. It's fifty, it? right? 50 what, what, I mean, what does that mean to you, knowing that you had a huge part in just kind of everything we discussed on this interview? Um. I mean, it's it's definitely a, a landmark, um, and I'm I'm excited about it. But I, like I was saying before, my mind is like where we need to be a few years from now. Mm. Like because, like I say, hip hop, yeah, it's in a great place commercially. You know, as far as generating money for individuals that are participating in it, but it's not at a great place. You know, holistically as something that can really be a, a force for change in the community and, and more of a, a, of a movement for change like it was in its earlier days. I still think we can bring, bring that back. You just gotta go and create that platform that's gonna start to open people's minds up to seeing and feeling about things that way and seeing these commonalities that we have. So- um, Break beat. Yeah, I want to see where we are, you know, mm-hmm. in, in five years. Uh, hopefully hip hop can really be making a change in a bigger way to, you know, like I said, some of the, I mean, the most underlying, important, worst problems this country has, you know, racism, systemic racism, and the the failure to, uh, you know, accept and address and deal with it, all of that, you know, is stuff that hip hop was in the 80s and 90s, Mm -hmm. you know, opening people's minds to and becoming a movement towards. And, you know, we have Black Lives Matter now these last, you know, years, of course. And, you know, of course, I know how close you were um, uh, stacked to um, George Floyd and the movement that, you know, his his, uh, murder, you know, created. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you notice, you know, the hip hop and Black Lives Matter, there wasn't really a convergence of those things. There, you know, there have been people in hip hop that have obviously been vocal, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like it, you know, a movement within hip hop as right. a music and a culture. So that I think can make it even bigger if we can Come you know, together. get that fuse back together. You know, I just want to say it's harder today because when they made self destruction, you had a lot of rappers around that time that was on that that was speaking to social justice, that was talking about that community, it was talking about um, the betterment of black people in our neighborhoods back then when they when they created self-destruction. Now you got more rappers talking about shooting each other and, and, and destructing. Yeah, mm-hmm. options, doing the destruction. So mm-hmm. it's kind of hard for that, but I'm, I'm glad you said that, Dave, because that's a big part of, of, of where we need to go to get to where we need to get. Yeah, mm-hmm. I believe there's some artists out there, you know, that, that will emerge, oh, yeah. that will bring that voice mm-hmm. and be able to, you know, stay you know, in in a in a lane that people you know who are who are not as focused on those things will will uh, enjoy, but also elevate their thinking. And you know, that's again what I'm trying to do with some of my shows is you know keep it fun and entertaining, but also you know put some jewels in there and, behind it. and really get people to kind of you know right. elevate their their thought process um, a little bit. Right. Quick hitters. First thing to come to mind. Let us know an album you can listen to on repeat. <laughs> One album. Uh, I would say, I mean, I, I'm going to go back to The Chronic. That is personally mm. probably my favorite album of all time. And, you know, maybe Illmatic and then, you know, uh, Biggie, Life After Death. Mm-hmm. And that was a double album. All classics. Mm-hmm. If you could redo one cover of The Source, which one would it be? Oh, man, redo. Oh, uh, and not even in a way of just changing it, yeah, just go just, through it again. Yeah, just the whole like, experience this, again. This was the one that like sticks out to me. Okay, okay. Um, man, that's tough. All right, uh, you had everybody. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me come up with a good one. Um, man, um, you kind of, kind of got me stumped on that. Um, <laughs> 
When we, when we spoke, <laughs> when we spoke on it, the first one you thought of was the was the Dr. Dre ones. Yeah. Well, yeah, Mary Mary is one of my other favorite covers. I will speak to that. Yes, Mary J. Uh, we gave a cover very early on in her career. It's a classic cover where she's sitting on an ice sculpture mm-hmm. in an all silver mm-hmm. outfit, mm-hmm. shot by one of the greatest photographers uh, and creative, you know, visionaries of. Hip hop, Chi Modu, rest in peace. That was my my photographer, chief photographer of the source, who passed just a couple of years ago. Some of the most iconic images, you know, that we've all seen were taken by Chi, including that that cover. Um, and again, like that was a step for the source because we really hadn't been putting R and B artists on the cover yet. Mm-hmm. So you know, that was a kind of a little kind of edgy move for us to take, but you know, Mary was like she was straight hip hop. You know, she was R and B, but she right. was straight, straight hip hop. So it made made sense. So, yeah, just going back, I was there for that cover shoot. I remember that. Um, I did go to that one and um, had a chance to talk a little bit to Mary. Um, so probably would have wished I might have talked to her a little more, mm-hmm. um, built a relationship with her. But um, yeah, that's, that was that's a dope one. one. This one right here, we're going to put you on the spot for real. Oh, Top five hip-hop artists, in your opinion. Oh, man. All time. All, All time. time. Yeah, this, this, this one's going to, this is the viral one. So okay. Dave May said. Top five. Okay. I got to, I've been practicing this. But <laughs> it's hard. I switch people in and out. I mean, I go, I got to say Pac first. Ooh. Um, you know, the most important. You most, heard him. Most influential artist you of, didn't of all time. Yes, sir. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get big in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only right. You know, I think um, it's hard. I mean, I think, you know, when when you look at just impact and influence, uh, you know, the Wayne, I think, has to get, get in there just mm. because of you know, so prolific and so influential these last, you know, My 15, guy. 15 years in hip hop. Um, after that, I mean, it's hard. Like, you know, I have like more of a personal favorites of like a, probably a Nas, um, you know, um, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Drake quite makes my top five yet. He's probably in the six to ten right now. I mean, you know, you can't overlook Rakim. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's really so the many. foundation of so so much uh, that that happened with hip hop in the years that that followed. So, um, man, I'm probably leaving out Jay, somebody, but somewhere around five. Did I did I get five? Yeah, in there? yeah, you got okay. five in there. You got five mm-hmm. in there. Dream concert. Ooh. Who do you have opening your con- your dream concert, and who do you have closing? Oh wow! Dead or alive? Dead or alive? Some probably some of these same same folks. I mean, um, I got to show Outkast some love. I was mm-hmm. talking about them earlier, but they are also one of the most incredible mm-hmm. groups in in the history of hip hop. So I would definitely want to have them on on the show, um, you know. And I would have to close with Pac. Um, you know, that would be the be the grand finale, and there'd be some other great stuff uh, in between. Mm, Pockets mm, the closer mm. for sure. Five dinner guests, dead or alive? Oh, man. Um, Malcolm X, uh, Muhammad Ali, Bob Marley, um, Shit, Tupac. One um, more, one more. And uh, hmm. um, I was on a roll. I need another good one. Um, oh man, it's tough. Uh, well, Nelson Mandela. Mm. Nice, nice mm. way to end it. Last question: If you could see a guest on this show. Who would it be? But before you answer, <laughs> you have to help us get your answer on the show. Like like Will Smith said, Denzel Washington. So we said, Will, we need you to get Denzel I Washington. So Denzel Washington is coming on the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, who do y'all want? I can help you. Oh, you got, you got a lot of connects. Don't, so don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. I mean, you know, don't do that. Tell me who y'all trying to get that I can help. I mean, Jay oh. Prince would be great. That's my man. That would I be can, a great one. That's I my can, guy as well. You know, um, 
and he's doing a lot of interviews right now too. That would be a yep. good one. Yeah, he would be nice. Yeah, I can, I can hook that yeah, up. Yeah, Jay Prince would be nice. I we'll take. We'll, I would definitely take the Dawn of the South. Suge from prison? Yeah, Suge sure. from prison. Yeah. That'd be a hard one. I, I J, J Prince would be special ago. for me, for sure, because I've been raised under that, so yeah. being from Texas, so yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. He's one of the few guys that I you know, really respect and have looked up to since the beginning, you know, in, in this hip-hop industry, because it's, it's hard, you know, this industry uh, breeds a lot of, you know, selfishness yeah. and, and greed and divisiveness, and it's hard. And he's one of the, you know, the only real ones that's really been able to keep it real and, and, and you know, remain, you know, central to things um, in the music and the culture all these years. He's done a lot of great things in music, but being from Texas, we respect his morals, the things he stands on more than anything. I got to show love to Nipsey Hussle, too. Yeah, he's he's up there yeah. with, mm. he, he maybe should have been my fifth uh, on the list, yeah. I might put Nip up there because I really believe in He Nip. in that Lauryn Hill category. You drop yeah. one oh, album like that Lauren and be a legend forever. Lauryn Hill's going to drop one album. Right. It's crazy right. to think about, right? <laughs> she only dropped one album, bro. Was she on this yeah. one? Of course, yeah. She only she dropped was. one album, though, and she's a legend we had of one album. We had the Fugees on the cover, and then Lauryn had her own cover. She performed at the Source Awards. Um, yeah, You get absolutely. a chance to meet Nip, no Nip, conversate with Nip. Briefly, we did get to meet. Um, he was in D.C. for a concert, and I got uh, connected to him. And, you know, we spent an hour just chopping it up, that type of thing. And I'd been on FaceTime with him because he he knew about me and my story, and he was interested in, you know, in learning more and, and building with me. So we were kind of having those conversations. Um, but, yeah, he, you know, another just just huge loss. I mean, just because, again, he's like one of those few that was really committed to giving back to the to the community and and you know talking trying about to make the change, a change. You were talking about yeah. There's mm -hmm. so few when you think of all the people in hip hop, you know, that really have been dedicated, you know, to that. So I've you know a lot of love and, and respect mm -hmm. for Nip and what what he represents. Rest in peace to Nip. Well, man, Dave, we appreciate your time. We're definitely looking forward to you continuing to tell your story because I think it's obviously such an integral part of shit our lives. To be honest with you, so. Let's let's exchange numbers if we can help on this side of uh yes, we on, will. on this yeah. side of the Bring platform. We would love to 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 do that. You know, Showtime was looking for stuff for this year for fifty. You know, for the fifty. So, who better to tell it? Let's make it happen. Who better to tell it? Yeah, Before man. you get up out of here, man, we got some merch for you. Awesome. Showtime merch, Jack. Yeah. Where can you get that at? Awesome. At all the smoke dot store. Let Ooh. me say that again. Ooh. All the smoke. Dot store. Pick up your oh. gear there and thank us later. <laughs> well, that's a wrap, man. Thank Dave May, Showtime. All the smoke. You can catch us on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the iHeart platform, Black Effects. We'll see y'all next week. You bet you. For all the parents out there, picture that it's bedtime. You and the kids have been busy all day. You know they're tired, but for some reason, they just won't go to sleep. And for this reason, I created the podcast Bedtime History. Bedtime History is a series of relaxing history stories that end with an inspirational message. With over 2,000 positive parent reviews, Bedtime History is one of the top education podcasts. Join me and listen to Bedtime History every Monday and Thursday on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.